Welcome to the Librarian Influencers Podcast. Each week, our host, Dr. Laura Shinneman, dives deep into school library topics to help you build your skills and take charge of your own professional development. Her mission is to create an environment where librarians flourish and become lifelong learners. Now, on to today's podcast. I'd like to welcome Nancy Jo Lambert to the Librarian Influencers Podcast today. She is a librarian in Frisco, Texas. And Nancy Jo, um, go ahead and, and introduce yourself and let us know a little bit about your background with school libraries. Hi, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. I really, um, I've listened to several episodes and so I'm a, I'm a big fan. So thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Nancy Jo Lambert and I go by Nancy Jo. I don't like it when people call me Nancy, driving <laughs> me bonkers. Um, so, you know, if you refer to me on social media or anywhere, just please, Nancy Joe, if you can. Um, so I have been an educator since 2005. I was alt cert and I started in the seventh grade English language arts and reading classroom. So I was an integrated language arts teacher at a middle school here in Frisco ISD. And, uh, then I got my master's in library and information science, uh, from UNT. And I got my first librarian gig also in this district at the, uh, pre-K school, the uh, early childhood school. So I served there for one year. Um, that was enough. It was great. It was a great experience working with um, preschoolers, 75% um, of which were special needs, 25% of which were um, low socioeconomic, um, but they were, they were, they were awesome. But it just, I spent a lot of time, I learned how to do finger plays and I learned about puppets and I learned lots of fun songs and <laughs> um but anyways, there's, there's also a YouTube channel out there where I do all those finger plays and sing songs and stuff out on the, out on the dark web, if you're interested in looking at that. For real? Yes. <laughs> yeah, for real. There's a whole YouTube channel where I do that stuff. Um, and then from there, I went to uh, an elementary in my district, uh, Bogart Elementary. I was there for three years. And then one of our APs went and opened a new elementary in our district. And she asked if I would come be her librarian. Um, so I went and opened McSpedden. I was only there for one year when um, some of our district leadership came to me and said, hey, we're opening a new high school. We want to pilot a more digital collection, have, you know, half print, half digital. We think you'd be great for this. So um, I came to Reedy High. I interviewed with the principal for Reedy High School. We, we connected. And so um, she hired me and I opened Reedy High School in 2015. I've been at Reedy High School since uh, 2015. So. Okay. Very good. So you really have covered the whole gamut then. Um, I have, yep. <laughs> That's good. All right. So what do you remember about your earliest years in the, in, when you were working in the school libraries? Now you mentioned a little bit about the, the preschool. If you want to skip to another grade level, you can, or you want to talk about that one, it's fine. So my, my first year in, um, in the library was obviously at the ECS and I was so excited and I feel like I had so much energy and I was just pouring my heart and soul into uh, making that library more user-friendly for pre-K users, um, many of which who had special needs. Um, and so that was, that was um, a really fun experience. It was really rewarding. It taught me a lot about um, centering your users when you're, um, you know, creating your library space. Um, and then after that, I went to Bogart Elementary, which uh, in our district was an older school. It had been open for 13 years, I think, when I when I started there, which in some places they're like, that's not an old school, but in Frisco, I see that's an older school. Um, they had had the same librarian and she very much had put her, her stamp and her mark on the library. And it just needed, it needed a lot. It needed a lot of TLC. 
Um, so I did a lot of um, not just redecorating, which I did. I completely redecorated the entire space. The PTA gave me $500. So I brought in my dad and my mom and uh, a couple that they were friends with and they did real construction and things in the library. And we, we um, worked on that space, um, the physical space, the entire summer before I started there. And then um, during that school year, I weeded. I weeded like crazy for the next two years because the it was just, there was just too many books and there were so many really old books and just, and I, and so then I worked on updating that collection while I was there. Um, but with both of those jobs, you know, they were both early on and I, in both places, I really tried to establish um, my online presence for those libraries because that was in 2010 and 2011 and my district uh, would not allow any social media then as a matter of fact as an employee you couldn't even put on any of your social media that you worked for Frisco IFC wow okay um yeah so I started a Facebook page when I was at the ECS and the district came to me and said hey you can't do this and I was like hey did you see what I have on this did you have you looked at it I mean have you even you know are you just telling me because you think social media is bad or did you actually look at this? And so um, my principal had my back and was like, she's doing amazing things and she's reaching a lot of our parents that we've never been able to reach like this before. And I was putting out tons of information about, um, you know, how, how much, how impactful creating, nurturing readers and creating um, reading environments that are positive and happy for little kids um, how much that can impact their learning moving forward. And for so many of those students who had uh, special needs and were low socioeconomic, um, you know, I was really trying to, to reach them and help their parents. And I brought in parents for lots of events, but I was publicizing all that through Facebook. And so um, the district shortly after that changed their social media policy. And then um, schools and, and, and I don't think it was just me, but I think I definitely <laughs> had a, had an impact there. Um, so that was, that was a really, um, that was a really huge thing for me. Um, I tend to, you know, when, when I'm talking to people who are in library school or who are looking to become school librarians or who are in their first, you know, couple of years of librarianship, um, I usually, I, I've, I've been compared to the analogy. I don't know if you are familiar with the Miley Cyrus song. I came in like a wrecking ball. Um, <laughs> But that's that's generally how I how I came into um, all, both of those schools. You know, I came in like a wrecking ball. I just full force. Um, you know, no holds barred. And uh, and then, you know, what I what I what I learned from those experiences is that um, I really, for me, and for probably most people, pacing yourself is really important <laughs> because you know, that I had, I had so many goals and so many things I wanted to do in both of those schools. And, um, and I did, and I, and I accomplished a lot. I really did in both schools. Um, looking back, I'm like, how did I even manage all that when I barely knew what I was doing? <laughs> but, um, I think that that is, that is a really important thing is to, to pace yourself and, and, and really be intentional about what you're working on and how you're going to, to achieve that. So. I think it can be so hard because you see so many things you want to do, you know, so it's like, do this, do this, do this, but um, maybe even outlining, you know, what are the main things, you know, that you want to do, because that, that might help you pace yourself, you know, when you're just starting out is kind of choosing some 
top three, you know, kind of things or something. I don't know. I was chatting with some people the other day and they were actually telling me they use a sticky note method um, for, they used to have like list of things they wanted to do or whatever, but now they're doing sticky notes and they're putting them like on their computer screen or, you know, on their, their, their circulation desk. Cause then they can do one thing, rip up that sticky note, <laughs> wad it up and throw it away. And they, they and it's kind of helping them because they're, you know, they're, you get stopped all the time. You know, like a student comes in for help or a teacher comes yep. in for help or the phone rings for this. And it's hard to, hard to just keep going. But anyway, I thought that was a cute idea to use sticky notes. Yeah. All right. Well, tell us a little bit about right now. What is Frisco doing? What are the librarians up to there? So Frisco ISD um, has opted to allow uh, students and parents every nine weeks to decide if they want to be virtual or face-to-face. -face. And so we have four nine-week grading periods um, across the board, uh, pre-K through 12. And parents are um, parents and students are allowed to to make those decisions each each nine weeks. Okay. So we have I I I compare it to it's kind of like running two schools at once because we have all these students in virtual. Um, and then we have, of course, our students in face-to-face. -face. So my campus, um, I think, is about 60, 40, 60 face, 60 percent face-to-face, 40 percent virtual. But every nine weeks, it kind of it fluctuates a little. Um, and uh, as we're seeing the virus surge this winter, I I'm wondering, you know, when we start the next nine weeks, um, yeah. you yeah. know, what what it's going to look like. But um, our, our district for all of the virtual sections. So, you know, at high school, we have, we have all these courses that we offer. And then, you know, a teacher may have one section of a certain course and two sections of another one, or they may teach six sections of, and you know, of one course, whatever, whatever is needed. Mm -hmm. And so um, at the high school level, our districts decided um, to kind of put students virtually. So a teacher who's teaching a virtual section of, of a class may have a student, a virtual student from all 10 high schools. It's entirely possible that they have students from across the district. So um, none of our systems in our district were designed to accommodate this kind of situation. So, you know, for the, li for the library, for me, when I'm preparing all these resources and doing all these things for, um, for our teachers and students that I normally do, I have to also think of, you know, there, there could be kids um, from all 10 high schools trying to access this Mac and D group, or there could be kids from all 10 high schools trying to access, you know, these books on this genially or whatever I'm doing. And so um, trying to be aware of that and provide them with either links to their school's resources or providing them with access to ours um, has been, has been really challenging and something that, um, you know, we've really had to kind of work around in a lot of instances. So. Okay. That, that you're actually that's the first time I've heard of a scenario like that where they were yeah we're, we're we're real special over here <laughs> but um we also all of our all of our libraries and librarians offered um what we call a books to go or library to go program this year where the students can go online they can fill out a google form and each campus has their own each librarian designs their own google form um and then the students can request print books now our campus was fortunate we haven't I haven't sent out very many books through the books to go program because my campus, I don't know if you remember me saying, but in 2015, when we opened, they wanted me to develop a digital collection as well as a print collection. Mm -hmm. So I already had a fairly significant, I have about 3,500 eBooks and I have about 600 digital audio books in our Mac and Via collection. That's 
just for our campus. Okay. Um, and so I, I was fortunate in that for our virtual students, I was able to um, steer them towards our virtual resources um, so that they don't have to uh, come to campus to get a print book. So. Yeah, awesome, very good. All right, well, Nancy Jo, um, the word influencer is used in a lot of different ways, uh, but I, I like to, when I think of it, I'm thinking about the like circles of influence and, you know, like in Texas and in many states, librarians initially started out as teachers and their circle of influence was their, their class, you know, that's where they had that impact. But when you move to a librarian role, that all changes. So talk a little bit with us about how do you see the influence of a librarian, um, either on a campus or a district level? So um, I think that school librarians are, can, I think that school librarians can be extremely important to student achievement. Mm -hmm. um, student achievement is of course the heart of any and every school. It doesn't matter what school you're in. You want your students to be successful and, and learn and, uh, you know, and, and, and go out into the world and be a productive citizen. Um, so no matter what, I think librarians always have to keep that at the forefront. Whatever they're doing in their library, whatever they're trying to influence on their campus, that needs to be aligned with whatever the campus goals are. And the goals are always, for, you know, there's always goals. There's, there's always like, you know, a subset of goals or whatever. But I think that student achievement is and should be forefront for all librarians. And if librarians are, you know, thinking about library lessons and all these things that they want to do in their library, but that none of those things contribute directly to student achievement, they need to abandon that. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I've not been afraid to say that in my <laughs> um, 10 years of being a librarian and I continue to, to um, I, I heard Mark Ray one time at a SLJ summit say, teach more librarian less, you know, administrators, teachers, um, uh, students, they want to see, they don't want to see you obsessing over your you know, your 300s or worrying, you know, constantly about getting books back from kids or teaching kids how to use shelf markers. None of those things are important. What is important is student achievement. Mm -hmm. And um, in order to impact student achievement, librarians have to be, uh, they have to be relevant and they have to be um, building relationships with teachers and students because in order to be a part of the curriculum in meaningful ways and contribute to student achievement, whether it's through nurturing uh, readers or uh, curriculum enhancements and enrichments and supplements, then you have to have relationships with your teachers. And the students aren't gonna care what you're doing either unless you build relationships with them. Right. Um, so every kid that walks through my door, I try to, I, I almost like, I almost try and hit reset on myself because I want to make sure that I'm Whatever I'm busy doing, I stop and I'm really focused on what that kid needs, whether it's something tiny that will take me five seconds to answer a question or whether it takes me 30 minutes to figure out how to get the right book in their hand or to help them with their computer or to help them with whatever technology need they have. Um, so I think that that is, that is really important. And for me right now, my biggest, um, what I'm trying to influence on my campus, in my district, and in education, and, and in the larger world of education is um, equity and inclusion. I think that there are many, 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 many schools that are doing a real disservice to their um, BISOC, their Black, Indigenous, and students of color populations. Um, and so I, 
I am aware of this uh, acutely now um, through a, a variety of things that have happened to me in my professional journey. And then, uh, you know, and so that is, that is my sphere where I'm trying to be um, of most influence right now. Okay. All right. So as you're, that's for, for right now. And of course you've been doing that for several years, but is there any new kind of influence that you want to start working on um, for this coming year or the rest of like for 2021? Um, so I think that really uh, for me, um, so for, let's see, I think it's been a little over two years since I came out professionally as a bisexual educator and uh, the reason that I finally decided to come out on, on my very public platform, um, and I continue to come out <laughs> daily, feels like sometimes, um, is that, um, you know, I have students here on my campus as, as a high school librarian. You know, of course, I had LGBTQ students as a pre-K elementary and middle school librarian, but it's a lot less... Um, it's not always as prevalent with those students as far as them dealing with it, especially um, at their younger ages. Uh, but certainly now that I'm at high school, I see how the students, um, they, they, are, they do not feel safe. They don't feel safe at school. Your LGBTQ students, if you, you know, gather them all up in a room and put them with a queer educator and ask them, there are a lot of them that would be like, no, I don't feel safe. No, I don't trust most of my teachers. And there's been plenty of surveys. The Trevor Project has done them. The Human Rights Campaign has done them. GLSEN has done them, um, where they've surveyed LGBTQ students. And they, those are the results. They, they don't feel safe at school. They don't feel seen and they don't feel valued for their authentic self. And they are afraid to be their authentic self. Um, They're afraid that, to tell their teachers or their classmates um, that they are LGBTQ. Plus. And so um, for me, I was afraid. I was afraid of coming out professionally. And I was afraid with, with, um, with, with good. <laughs> I mean, I was afraid because what happened when I did come out was what I was afraid was going to happen. Um, <laughs> you know, and so, and there's been lots of other um, things that have happened to me besides uh, the incident of discrimination and harassment that I went through at TCEA. Uh, last year, 2019 TCEA annual convention. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I want to tell you a quick story if I can. So last week I had a student come into the library and his class was in here working on a, a, a project. And um, the student and I had connected earlier in the year because I have a display of LGBTQ books. These are not all the LGBTQ books in the library, but it's a display of like, I put the new ones on there and I put I choose specific ones that I know students with questions about their identity are going to need. Mm -hmm. um, and so I had that display and this, this kid came in and was looking at the display and he was like, oh my gosh, I feel so seen right now. You know, thank you so much for having this display. And I was like, well, that's what it's there for. I was like, I know because I'm, you know, I'm bisexual. I know I'm in the LGBTQ community. I know you know, that it's important for us to be able to see ourselves in, in lots of places, including books. And he was like, so we, we connected then. And then last week his class was in here. And so he came over and he was asking me some questions about the project um, and some of the resources that I had provided for them. And so we, we got to talking about other things. And, um, and he started telling me just, you know, all kinds of things about himself, like that he, uh, 
you know, wanted to, he wants to become um, a recording artist and he's, um, he's a, he's one of our theater students. So he's doing um, theater and he's pr uh, preparing uh, this dramatic monologue for a college admissions thing. And he started really, um, you know, opening up to me about that, you know, when I came out to him and being so visible at school, other students and, and staff knowing, um, you know, that I'm bisexual, that was, that was really something that he saw as, as valuable and something that he has been, um, you know, he said that I inspired him to, to, to be more um, open at school as well. And, um, you know, I say this also with a, a, a caution that um, I, I don't come out so that other students will be openly out as well. Um, but I do want them to see that I not only survived being LGBTQ, but that I'm thriving and that um, the issue is not that we are LGBTQ. The, the issue is how society responds to our identities. And I think that that is also the issue for um, a lot of other marginalized and oppressed groups is that it is not who they are that is the issue. It is how society interprets that and responds to it. And so by intentionally being visible in educational spaces, um, I'm working towards normalizing these identities. I've literally had people come up to me in my own building that I teach in and say, you know, I, I've known you for years now and, and I can't, I can't hate you because of this. I, I don't, I don't, I don't like, I don't, I don't approve of gay people, but I'm, I can't hate you because of this. So, and I'm like, okay, well, I guess, I guess that's progress. That's good. Right. <laughs> I'm glad you're not going to hate me just because of this, you know, this, this thing about me. Um, you know, so I think it's, I think it's been, I think it's been helpful, um, and, and I want to say, too, that, you know, your, your LGBTQ colleagues don't feel safe at school. They don't feel safe being their full and authentic selves. And uh, in, 20, in 2019 at the TC, I mentioned this earlier, but um, I experienced um, discrimination and harassment because of my sexual orientation uh, at that conference. And it's fully detailed on, um, on my professional blog, which uh, is going to be linked in the show note resources. I detail... Um, you know, my complaint process and what happened and all of that. Um, but I, I, I did that because I wanted to hold TCA accountable and I wanted to continue to um, help normalize identities that are not cisgender and heterosexual in educational spaces. Mm -hmm. So that okay. was the reason for all of that. <laughs> all right. well, that's good. So obviously, um, being inclusive is just a real important thing for all of us, but it's something that you speak about a lot. So talk to us a little bit more about what librarians can do. Like you mentioned, you know, you had a book display, but what else do you, what do you recommend um, for librarians? So librarians, especially librarians new to the profession, um, but even librarians that have been librarians for a long time, um, we have to do the work to make our spaces inclusive to all identities. And when I say we have to do the work, I don't just mean having a display or celebrating, you know, um, Hispanic Heritage Month or, uh, you know, or making sure that you have books about the Muslim religion, like to really have inclusive spaces of all identities, 
we as librarians, one, we have to look at where does our bias lie? And every single human being is biased. It's just something that is a part of how we are made um, and then how we are raised and our, our own life influences. Um, and we all contain a lot of ignorance. There's no possible way for any one person to know everything about every cultural heritage, every religion, every sexual orientation, every gender identity or gender expression. I mean, the, these things are just, there's, there's more than any of us will ever know. Um, but as librarians, we can, we can do a, a, some work and have kind of a baseline of understanding or at least knowledge of the fact that there are lots of different identities and, and what are some of those, what are some of those so that we can make sure that we are creating inclusive spaces. And obviously one of the things that we as librarians can do is make sure our collections are inclusive. Yeah. Um, and so the, the collections that we either inherit when we started a library or that we build once we're in a library, um, we may think, and I thought, I thought my I, my library opened in 2015, this high school librarian, and I thought, surely my, my collection is inclusive. Surely there are lots of inclusive titles in this collection. I was wrong. <laughs> I was so wrong. Um, I did, we did a, um, a diversity audit of our fiction collection last year, myself and two of my student library aides who were super passionate about because um, they were like, yeah, Ms. Limer, we don't really think it is that inclusive. There's, there's a lot of books about white people in here. It's <laughs> <was> like, really? <laughs> Let's find out. So we did, and we did find out. Um, right under 90% of our, our, our fiction collection um, contains, uh, is written by uh, white authors and contains white characters, main characters. And so um, the fact that we um, thought it was inclusive, or the fact that I thought it was inclusive, I was clearly mistaken. And after we did our diversity audit, we had the hard data to prove it. And so, you know, looking at the numbers, I looked at the demographics of my school in particular. Um, most school districts put their um, ethnic or racial uh, demographics on their on their district website. So you can find that information incredibly easily, I assure you. Um, but I looked at my campus demographics and then I looked at what the diversity audit revealed and it would literally take me about 10 years dealing with my current library budget oh, to wow. to even come close to mirroring the 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 racial makeup of my school and that doesn't even take into account obviously I don't have any data on religion or sexual orientation or gender identity or expression um and so I was like, okay, so clearly I have some work to do. Um, you know, so I asked my principal for uh, some extra budget money this year, and I have a I have a long range of a five year plan uh, to um, to ask for additional funds um, each year in varying amounts to, and I, I you know I'm systematically going through and uh, you know, and I'm I'm also weeding out um, problematic titles um, not all representation is good representation so yeah. there are there are books that we found when we were doing this diversity audit that we were like well I mean this this has some you know this has some gay characters or this has some black characters or this has some um you know Persian characters but the representation is not is not good <laughs> we don't this is not what we this is not what we want people reading about about these identities um you know and so 
there's there's it's a it's it's a process and it's nothing that happens quickly or overnight but it's something that um you know I've committed to for my collection and then you know I've, I've just done other things like I have a sign uh, on both of our front doors of our library that say you know we welcome and then it says you know all races all ethnicities all religions all sexual orientations all and you know and it's, it's a list of all the different um types of identities that we that we welcome and when I when I say that I I truly mean it and so when kids you know are talking to me about themselves you know I ask them questions about themselves and I respond in ways that are respectful and kind and not um, a microaggression or not uh, something that is going to make them feel othered Mm -hmm. Uh, and so there's a there is it's, it's a fine line, but it's something that I'm learning how to do. And I'm, I'm also, I'm also really trying to learn to think differently when I, when I encounter my own biased thoughts or my own ignorance, I seek out the information to correct the ignorance. And I think about where that bias comes from, what it's rooted in, where it stemmed from, and then how to, how to, uh, think differently the next time I encounter that a, a similar situation. And so some of the tools that I've used in this process, um, the University of North Carolina put out this amazing free resource called Project Ready. And there's a website um, and there are modules and you work through the modules and they have videos and things for you to read. And they have a workbook that you do reflections in. And, and it really has helped me um, with a lot of my ignorance and bias. Um, also, Harvard has uh, some bias, um, implicit bias tests that you can take on all different topics. Okay. Um, and they they just kind of help you reveal what, what bias you, you think you have or don't have. <laughs> um, and so those were really helpful. And then uh, the other thing that I do is I'm really trying to build my cultural competency as an educator. And so not only do I talk to students and, and um, try and inquire uh, in respectful and, and kind ways about who they are as a person and that I want to see them and that I value them for their full and authentic selves. Um, is I, I read, I read widely and I try to read things from perspectives that are different than my own. Um, and so on my professional website, actually just this week, I put um, some genialese and every year I keep track of all the books that I read. Um, but I put some genialese in there because I really wanted it to be visible what these books are, especially to, you know, my principal who's evaluating me. And this is part of my goals every year is that I read widely and read, you know, diverse literature and, you know, working on my own cultural competency and professional development and all of those things. Um, so that, that, th- those three things, you know, project ready, de- building your cultural competency by reading widely, um, and then really focusing on correcting your own ignorance and learning to think differently is I think probably the biggest things that I would say to new librarians or even current librarians, if you're, if you're wanting to, um, you know, to, 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 to create inclusive spaces. This, these are the, these are the steps that I would take personally in order to be able to do that. When you did your diversity audit, did you happen to write about it? Um, so I have a presentation that I did with all of my resources. I think it's linked in the show notes. And if, if I haven't given you that link, I'll make sure it's in there, but I think it's in your, I think it's one of the resources in your show notes. I mean, I, 
I know people will think about doing it, but they don't really know where to start, you know, and it's such a big, when you think about, oh my gosh, what kind of spreadsheet, you know? So we, we started, and I, this is what I recommend to other librarians is just take it like we did it. Um, our fiction section is genre five. So we did it one genre at a time. You could take it one shelf at a time. Just be like, I'm going to do one shelf a day, you yeah. know? Um, and we had a Google form that we scanned in the barcode of the book. So we would have the data attached to the book. Um, we created the Google form ourselves and it's in my resources. Um, so if other librarians want to look at it or base theirs off of ours, it's totally fine. But my students and I designed it together. So we scan in the barcode and then we just answer some questions about who the author is, um, you know, what information is available on the book about them. If there's none, but we think there might be something else, we look them up, we Google them real quickly. Um, and then we just kind of skim the first uh, chapter or so uh, to look for those uh, those identifications. Usually characters identify within the first chapter as to their what they are, you know, I'm usually in the first few pages. And if if there's no identif identifying factors listed, then they are assumed white. They are assumed white. They are assumed Christian, uh, Christian because that is what most of society does when they read a book. Those those are the assumptions that are made. Um, and so that if, if it's not stated explicitly, then, you know, and even if there's side characters who are those things, those characters are usually not super developed. They're pretty flat. Um, so there may be like a gay best friend or there may be, you know, an Asian um, kid in the group or whatever. But if they're not the main characters and if they're not fully developed, then they, they you know, that representation is is not what we're not ideal. So, right, right. All right. Well, Nancy, you have shared a ton with us today. Um, and I know you're, I know we're going to have your resource list, but just when you think in general about how do you keep yourself growing and learning and staying sharp? Are there any things that you recommend to people in particular? Um, you know, the first thing is uh, connect. Connect with other librarians in the profession. Um, and not just the big name ones, not just the ones that you see at conferences or that, you know, have 30,000 followers on Twitter those people are wonderful to learn from a, a lot of those people are my friends so um, I'm not dissing them in any way but uh, you know the more that you can connect you know I have really strong relationships with all nine of the other high school librarians in my own district mm -hmm. and we we talk every day we have a text strand where we talk you know outside of school and then we also have um, a Google chat where we where we message and talk all day long about you know the professional things that we're doing in our libraries and we share resources and things like that so that community if you are a lone ranger on your campus is really really important to be able to bounce things off of other people and you know and and build off of or or flat out use the resources that other librarians provide for you that's really powerful um obviously i'm a huge proponent of social media connecting through social media um i feel like it's a little bit I'm a little jaded at this point, I think, because, um, and I'll be really honest with you, um, you know, I, I struggle with Facebook as a, as a social media platform. I personally don't, don't like Facebook. The Facebook groups are not helpful to me. Like these things are just not, these are not, these things, these places are not good for me. Um, but that, I think that has a lot to do with where I am in my own professional journey and in my own life. Um, 
but I, I definitely am a proponent of, of social media. Um, I, I, I really want to encourage, especially new librarians, to connect in meaningful ways with people. If you can do that through social media, through building a professional learning network, you know, following the, the thought leaders in our profession and things like that, that is important. And I encourage you to do that. But I also encourage you to really build those those real and authentic relationships with people where you can pick up the phone and call them, or you can send them a Voxer message, or you can shoot them an email or send them a text. Because when you have those types of relationships with um, people in your profession, that is really, really important. Um, so obviously people can connect with me um, on Twitter. You're welcome to follow me at Nancy Jo Lambert. My library is at Reedy Library. Um, I do not Facebook anymore. Please don't friend request me on Facebook. I don't, I don't like it. Um, Instagram, my purse, um, you can follow me on my library Instagram, which is at Reedy Library. Um, but my personal Instagram is just that. I don't allow anyone to, uh, my in personal Instagram is, is locked down because um, for one, students try and find me. Um, but also, this is a place where I, um, you know, I put, put pictures of my kids and my dog and there's nothing library going on there. <laughs> um, that's, that's very much a personal space for me. And so I ask, you know, some people, a friend requests me and I go through like once a year and just respond to all of them. You know, if you want to follow me on my professional, you can. But um, I think that everyone deserves to have those personal spaces where they can, they can really just connect with the people that are the, the relationships in their, in their life. Um, I also have a professional blog, nancyjolambert.com. And I put, I, I keep that, I update that almost every week with, you know, any additional um, presentations that I do that I can share publicly. I put those there. Um, anytime I'm, I uh, contribute to a professional publication, I put those there. All of my resources from 10 years in the library um, are there. Uh, and they're curated in ways that are meaningful to other librarians who are looking for those resources. Um, so all of that is there. And then my library website, readylibrary.com, that's my real everyday there for my teachers and students um, stuff that I'm doing. So, All right. Well, Nancy Jo, um, in case people are not familiar with show notes, let me describe that real quick. Um, for those of you who are just listening, you know, from maybe your Apple podcast or Stitcher or something else, go to the description part. And there will be a link that says show notes. Or, but if you read it from my website, larshinneman.com, the show notes are right there. Um, but the show notes are where you're going to find all the additional information. So Nancy Joe, tell us just in general, what kind of resources that they're going to be able to find on the show notes this time. So I linked my um, professional uh, blog website, nancyjolambert.com. I also linked readylibrary.com. I'll put on there Glisten because if librarians are working with, um, you know, middle school and or middle school and high school kids and they're interested in, and there's not a GSA at their school and that's something that as a librarian, they, they might want to look into. GLSEN is an organization that is there for LGBTQ plus students and there's all kinds of information about um, developing a GSA chapter, advising the GSA chapter, but there's also just lots of information about LGBTQ, you know, like I said, there's reports and surveys and things there, um, terminology, all that kind of stuff um, that would be helpful. And I also listed Trevor, the Trevor Project, which has um, similar types of resources. Um, EduPride Alliance is, a, is an organization that I co-founded in uh, 2019. It came out of the Equity in Action Forum at ISTE 2019. And uh, we are a community of LGBTQ plus educators who are advocating for equity um, for LGBTQ plus 
educators and students. And we're also doing that through um, visibility and trying to normalize those identities. But I put three links there. There's a link to terminology. So if you're unfamiliar with what are the ABCs of you know, LGBTQ plus people, well, what does all this mean? You know, if a kid's like, I'm a, you know, I'm demisexual or a kid comes up to you and is like, I'm ace or whatever the case may be. And you're like, I have no idea what that is. You can Google it or you can go to our Enterprise Alliance terminology and get a really nice package of information there uh, to help you understand some of those. I'm also really um, an advocate of all educators using their pronouns, especially in virtual spaces where um, we don't, it's, it's, it's not ever appropriate to make assumptions about a person's gender identity or gender expression um, based on what they look like, how they're dressed, how they talk, all of these things. We should never assume anything about any person based on those things. Um, and so I always use my pronouns, she, her, because I want people in spaces that maybe don't know me to understand that I identify as um, female and that when you refer to me, you should use my name, Nancy Joe, and my pronouns, she, her. Um, I think that these are really uh, important pieces to normalizing uh, the use of pronouns so that all educators come into spaces where students can then share their pronouns because they know that this person values the idea that each person uh, defines their identity and, and then encourages others to um, to use the appropriate pronouns and names to recognize their identity. Um, and then there's a link for Educate Alliance webinars. I also put equity and inclusion resources on here. So I talked about Project Ready, that's linked here. I talked about my reading logs, that's linked here. Um, I did the Hacking School Libraries um, virtual summit this last August. And so that was a really good um, conversation between um, Anita, Rhonda, Sherry, Matthew, and myself. So there's a link there to the actual video that you can watch as well as uh, the resources for that. And then I did a really, um, what I thought was, I thought it was a pretty good webinar with um, ABC Clio and School Library Connection with um, another librarian from my district, uh, Leslie Roan. She was the, um, the co-host with me. And so that uh, is available on demand on their website as well. You can watch that for free as well as our resources, which have all my um, diversity audit resources. Wow. And I, I really go into in depth on my diversity audit on that video. And then all my resources, all my resources are linked in there as well. So. Well, Nancy Joe, it's been awesome talking with you today. I appreciate your time and thanks so much for sharing with me, but also just with our, our profession in general. Well, thank you for having me. And like I said, I've, I've listened to several of the episodes of uh, Librarian Influencers and uh, several of my friends have been on your podcast. And so um, I know that this is a, a really powerful resource for librarians coming into the field or librarians who are in the field who are just looking for um, some fresh professional development. So I appreciate you and the work that you're doing in our profession to, to continue to move us forward as a profession. Appreciate that very much. We have a great day and I look forward to following you and keep on learning from you. Bye -bye. All right. Thanks. Bye.